Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days, we'll sing his praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, our God. What an amazing thought, isn't it? Like this brief life that we have here on earth, that for when we were 16 or when we were in our 20s, it seemed like it was going to last forever. Our son is waiting till he gets his driver's license. That's taking forever. But for some of us on the other end of it, it's like if I'd have known it went by that fast, <laughs> I'd have paid more attention, right? And yet, as believers in Christ, this is just the dress rehearsal. Like what we have waiting for us on the other side of eternity is so amazing that you can't even fathom it. Your tiny little brains cannot grasp the riches that are yours in Christ Jesus. And so Peter has this crazy and unenviable task of trying to write to these believers who are undergoing persecution and who are stuck in the here and now and, and focusing so much on what's going wrong in their lives. And he wants to say to them, there's a bigger picture, my friends. There's hope and there's joy and who you are in Christ supersedes everything that's happening in your life, every difficulty. And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, this is what Peter writes. My dear friends, I urge you, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from those worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Live such good lives among the pagans. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors because even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. The word of the Lord. This is what God is speaking, not just through the hand of Peter to scatter churches thousands of years ago. This is what God wants to reach down right into your life today, right into your pew. Even if you're sitting in the wrong pew, totally the wrong side of church, right, Dave? Just like, what? This is totally wrong. And yet God wants to encourage each one of you with this truth of who you are in Christ. In 2015, Australian resident Noella Rukundo went home to Burundi to attend the funeral of her stepmother. Now, unbeknownst to her, her husband had decided that enough was enough, and he'd hired hitmen to kill her while she was on vacation in Burundi. When the hitman realized that, that it was her own husband that had hired them to, to kill her, they had a change of heart. A hitman with a change of heart. Go figure. They give Rukundo her freedom, and they explain the situation to her. So you know what Noella Rukundo did? She flew home anonymously. She went to her own funeral, showed up at her own funeral, and stood up and started berating her husband for his terrible acts right in front of everybody. At her own funeral. That's crazy. He was convicted. He's spending nine years in jail. He's done Five of them, I think, right now. Wow. At her own funeral. You ever think about your own funeral? You ever wonder what people are going to say about you at your funeral when, when this life is over and done, it's all said and done, it's all wrapped up? Ever wonder what they're going to write on your tombstone? I mean, what they'll say in your eulogy? Like, Jerry, you've got to be nice to your daughters, right? Yeah, I know. It's just crazy. They've got to say nice things. And we all want that. We want our lives to matter. 
We, we want to make a difference. We want to have an impact. We don't have a lot of time on this side of eternity. And so all of us are going, what is the purpose? What's the point? What can I do with my life? And, and whether you're 16 or whether you're 96, you're going, how can I be used by God to make an impact? How can I, how can I make a difference? And the reality is that none of us are going to live forever. None of us are going to live on this earth forever. None of us. And, and that's what's been really surprising to me as I've been watching this whole COVID thing play out across the world is just there's this collective misunderstanding. There's this collective denial about our own mortality. And, and some of these people that are being so cautious, I just want to say to them, um, you're going to die sooner or later. Like, like you got to make terms with that. This is what the Bible says over and over again, is that, is that we Christians, because we know about our mortality, because we remind ourselves of that, that we live the best lives possible. But the Bible says our lives are short. All men are like grass. Now, that doesn't mean for some of your wives that you're off the hook here. That's all men and all women and everybody in between, all 57 genders. You're all grass. Psalm 90, verse 5 and 6, James 1, verse 10, it's sprinkled throughout the Bible. Even our own letter, 1 Peter 1, verse 24, all men are like grass. Our lives are short. We're here today and gone tomorrow. We have a brief and limited time to make a difference. Jesus asked this question, what good is it if a man gains the whole world and yet forfeits his own soul? What's the point? And what Jesus is saying here is something we need to take into consideration. That you can become rich and popular and famous by the world's standards and still live a worthless life. You ever notice how many celebrities don't know what to do with all this COVID stuff? All of a sudden they're not in the public eye anymore and they have to make all these YouTube videos and all these things pretending that their cushy lives are like prison. <laughs> sure, whatever. What good is it if you gain the whole earth and then you lose your soul? You can climb to the top rung of the ladder only to find that you've leaned your ladder against the wrong wall. And if your soul is lost, then you're lost. There's no bargaining with God at the judgment seat. There's no getting a do-over. Now, Darren loves to talk about second chances. I don't know if you've noticed that. He talks about second chances a lot. I think it's because he needs it in his marriage, but that's another story. Um, he talks about second chances, and we all get those second chances here on earth. Like, as long as we, this is the one prayer that God promises he'll always hear, is the prayer of, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. No matter if it's the first time you've prayed it or if it's like the thousandth time you've, you've prayed it, you get second chances here on earth. But once it's done, it's done. It's done. None of us get to attend our own funeral. None of us get to attend our own funeral. So there's these Christians they're living in the northern part of what's now the modern-day country of Turkey, Asia, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadinia, Bithynia, these different provinces, and they're, they're scattered up there. Like, they're outnumbered. In most towns, there's not even enough of them to form a church, let alone 27 churches, like here in Swift Current. Yes, I went online, and I counted. I also sent Pastor Joel a hello this morning and tried to bug him because he's preaching Revelation 
so we can all pray for Pastor Joel at the Baptist Church that he'll have a job on Monday. But these Christians in northern Turkey or Asia Minor in, the, in those days, they're in the minority. They are far more outnumbered than we are in our society. They're just, they're, they're strangers and aliens. They live a life that is different from everyone around them. And so Peter is writing this letter to these scattered believers and these followers of Jesus. And he's talking about this amazing salvation that we have in Jesus. He is such an amazing God. Praise the name of the Lord our God. You have been chosen by God. You have been chosen. You've been picked by God. You're no longer a part of, of the enemy's a team, you're no longer lost in darkness. You have a new life. First Corinthians said, as anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I love that idea. Um, Pastor Jim Scobie used to preach about this all the time in, in Steinbeck, and, and he'd like to point out that, that, that it's like a banner, like, like he gets so excited, Paul gets so excited about this, that he even forgets to put in the words. If anyone's in Christ, new creation. There's not even a he is, it's just implied, it's like a banner. And that's what we have. That's what these believers in, in Asia Minor have. God's mighty power is at work in you. You love Jesus even though you've never seen him. And because of your love for Jesus, you're going to be saved. Not because of your good works. Not because of the things you do or the things that you don't do. But because of your love for Jesus, you'll be saved. Your souls will be found by Jesus. Your lives will matter. They will have a reason and a purpose. People just might say good things about you at your funeral. And yet Peter is also really honest about the difficulties that come in life. I mean, this life can be hard. Trials that test our faith. Christ's own suffering and the necessity of difficulties in our lives. Now, can I say that again? The necessity of difficulties in our lives we really love Jesus, our lives here won't be easy. They're not supposed to be. Do not pray for an easy life. Pray to be a strong person. I love that quote. Try to track it down this week. I don't know who said it. Either Bruce Lee or John F. Kennedy. So if you think it's cool that the pastor quoted Bruce Lee, then Bruce Lee said it. If that makes you feel a little bit like your pastor's a weirdo, then John F. Kennedy said it. Do not pray for an easy life. Pray for a strong faith. I like that. If you think about Christians throughout history, I mean, generally speaking, we've done best when life has been hard. We've done best when times have been toughest. Like whenever Christians become the majority in any one place, they, they start to cause all sorts of trouble. Christians shine the brightest when their lives are the darkest. We just celebrated St. Patrick's Day this week where everyone is drunk and Irish for a day. I'm half Irish, so I tell people I'm only Irish for 364 days out of the year. I got a bad attitude about St. Patrick's Day. But when Elaine and I went to England, we actually visited the site in northern England where St. Patrick, as a 16-year-old kid, was captured by Irish raiders and sold into slavery across the sea in Ireland. And he spent years in slavery and it was as a slave in Ireland that he became a believer in God. And then later in life, he got set free and he, and he and was returned to England. And you know what he did? He, you know what he did. He didn't just drive the snakes out of, out of Ireland. He went back to Ireland. He went back 
to the land of his slavery in order to go to the very people who had enslaved him and preach to them about the gospel of Jesus. When his life got tough, his faith got real. And that's my hope for us, that we can live our lives in such a way that no one has to lie at our funeral. That when life gets tough, our faith gets real. That we learn what it is to be strangers and aliens in this time in history, just like the believers in Jesus did in Peter's day. So let's take a look at our Bible passage. Such a short little passage that we're looking at today, but in many ways, it's the center of this letter, the primary thought, the reason for the book. And if you notice my outline that they probably already has up there, it's a, it's a Hebrew chiasm. So a little nugget for all you Bible nerds out there. Number one, then, is just remember who you are. Remember who you are. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Dear friends, Peter says, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. You see, so much of our problem comes in this life when we forget who we are. When we forget that we're supposed to be different, when we forget that we are aliens, we are strangers, we are those people, those people. We don't like that. We don't, we don't want to have that kind of difficulty. We want vindication now. We, we want karma immediately, right? How many Christians now believe in karma? What? What is that? Of course, we want karma for other people, not for ourselves, right? <laughs> we don't realize that we are children of God, but we're also spiritual warriors. We're in a, a spiritual war. And that the battleground for the war that we're called to be part of, it's not out there somewhere. It's right here. Like, like this is your Dieppe. This is your Normandy, your, your heart, your, your spirit, the, the inner person that you are. That's your Hamburger Hill. So we have to remember that. Canadian peacekeepers currently operating in uh, Operation Impact in Iraq, they have to keep their helmets and their vests on at all times. Not just when they go out of the compounds, but at all times. Like some of them sleep with their helmets on. They can't relax and just enjoy life in Mosul. They're at war. And it's been pretty successful. We can keep praying for it. The enemy has lost more than 98% of the territory that it once occupied. Um, different names for the enemy. ISIS is probably the most familiar one. Over 7.5 million people in that part of the world have been liberated from the occupation, from an oppressive regime. And so we want to be thankful for that. But the danger persists. And you and I are at war too, a spiritual war. <laughs> and guess what? We're winning the war. We're, we're winning even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it. I've read the back of the book. We win. But fight the good fight. Like, my friends, don't, don't succumb to the world around you. Don't let your soul be lost. We have to keep reminding ourselves that this world is not our home. And we cannot live like those around us live. We must remember who we are. Aliens and strangers here on earth. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to move to Area 51, Karsten. Remember who you are. Number two, live excellently. Live excellently. And it's literally all I can do right now to not launch into a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure montage with like uh, the air guitar solo and the whole party on. No, I won't do that because this is kind of a serious moment. Our pastor exhorts us. We need to stay away from these worldly desires. We need to live properly. 
among our unbelieving neighbors. So I'm going to do something here that's going to be really uncomfortable. You can take a spiritual inventory. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and just listen. And if, if the Holy Spirit convicts you, then let the Holy Spirit convict you. Question. You ever feel like disliking someone because of their accent? Or, or because of how they dress? Or because of where they came from? Have you ever done that? Question. Have you ever thought or said, oh, those Asians, they're in the news right now because of that terrible, um, terrible shooting in the States, right? Or, oh, those natives. Or, oh, those fill in the blank. Have have you ever found yourself thinking that? Question. You ever get angry with the foolish views of liberals? Like, who votes liberal? You ever get angry with the foolish views of conservatives? Come on, what is wrong with you people? How about those NDPers? And let's not even talk about the people that are Green Party supporters. You ever do that? Maybe there's even a few of you that vote for Christian Heritage Party here. I don't know. Why do we let that divide us? Question. You ever see an attractive person and you just kind of let your mind wander to sexual places with that person even though you're not married to them? You ever had that happen? They have some sort of accidental wardrobe malfunction and you take a second look. question. You ever cut corners at work? You ever take a longer break than you're entitled to? You ever start just showing up habitually one or two minutes late because, you know, you have the keys and you unlock the door, so they have to wait. You ever think, oh, my employer does not deserve 100% of, of, of my efforts? You ever feel that way? You ever start getting cynical about your job? Question. How fast do you drive? And why? Alicia, you're not allowed to nudge your dad. (laughs) Question. Are you holding a grudge against someone right now? Like when I say this, is there a face that's popped into your brain and you've immediately removed it because you're angry at that person? Are you harboring bitterness in your own soul? Question. Have you ever had that moment where you went, man, I would just love to be a, not be a Christian for like five minutes. Five minutes, that's all it would take. That's, that's all I need is just five minutes to put all this things I ought to do aside and go do what I want to do and then I can come back. You ever thought that? I've been there. Most of those questions apply to me too. And Peter warns us, stay away from things like this. Don't you realize that they're waging war against your very soul? Those are the sorts of thoughts and actions that kill you. The best way to get rid of a bad habit, those of you that have tried this, have to replace it with a good habit. 
right? I have a glass of water by my bed because I chewed my nails for some reason last night. It's elbowing me. Stop chewing your nails. A sip of water, trying to replace a bad habit with a good habit. Live excellently, Peter says. Think about honorable things. Philippians 4, 8, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, think about these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I've mentioned that one of my personal heroes in life is a guy named George Mueller, a British guy, God's man in Bristol, man of prayer, loved the orphans, godly man. George started praying a prayer. He was known as a man of prayer. Started praying a specific prayer as he got a little older in life. He says, Lord, do not let me become an evil old man. And I didn't understand that prayer when I was in my 20s. But man, I understand it now. And I've seen it. I've, I've seen men who were on fire for the Lord and they, they gave their lives to Jesus and they, they did all sorts of crazy things for Christ. And then later in life, they were like, well, God hasn't done anything for me, so why should I do anything for him? And it's just like, oh, Lord, help me not become like that. Pray for Pastor Darren who has to tell Cooper about how King Solomon's life ended. Wisest man on earth, and yet he chose compromise again and again and became an evil old man. How do, you, how do you stop from that? I don't think it means that I have to shave off my mustache like George Mueller. Release the bitterness. Learn humility. Keep a rein on your old man crankiness. Pastor Darren once it all reminds me of that. Love others. Instead of criticizing other people, look for the good. Celebrate that. Preach about Jesus. Just talk about Jesus all the time. I guarantee you, if you get in the habit of talking about Jesus, your life will change. Read scripture. Memorize scripture. Pray. Live properly among the Gentiles. And you know, Peter is pretty honest about the fact that all of these good decisions that we're making as followers of Jesus, as Jesus just lives out his life through us, Peter's really honest about the fact that these are going to come with a price. We don't necessarily like the price. People will hate you for doing good. And we're not supposed to be surprised by that. We're not supposed to be surprised by that. Becoming a follower of Jesus doesn't actually end the battle. In many ways, it's just the start of the battle. The battle doesn't even begin until you come to Jesus. Satan doesn't really, really care about the many, many, many Christians out there who live lives who don't make a difference. If you're one of those people who just doesn't do anything for the Lord, Satan doesn't care about you. You've got no point, right? It's, it's when the Christians start to make a difference. Christians who live lives that are different from the lives around them. That, that's what gains the enemy's attention. The enemy doesn't need you to join their side. All they need is for you to do nothing. You ever think about that? All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Edmund Burke, back in the 1700s. 
Peter puts a surprising little phrase in our scripture right here. Though they accuse you of doing wrong. My New Living Translation is a little more hopeful. If they accuse you. And I'm like, oh guys, there is no if in the Greek. It's not an if. It is very definitely a when. When they accuse you. And notice they aren't accusing you of wrongdoing when you're actually doing wrong. Like that would be understandable. When that happens, when someone's accusing you for doing wrong and you're actually doing wrong, just apologize and, and turn from that and get over it and carry on. But when you've been accused of wrongdoing and you're not doing wrong, that's a tough place to be. I've been there once or twice. I thought I was there once or twice and I was wrong. But I've been there. Once or twice. And Peter says, we're not supposed to be surprised. I get surprised. When people criticize me for wrongdoing and I'm not doing anything wrong, I'm, I'm surprised by that. And Peter's going to talk about this a little bit later in his letter, so we're going to spend a whole sermon on it in a couple of weeks, so we're going to just carry on this morning. It says, do good anyways. Then they will see your honorable behavior. You know how Jesus expects you to respond when someone wrongly accuses you of wrongdoing, even when you're not doing anything wrong? Do you know how Jesus expects you to respond in those situations? Jesus expects you to respond to false accusations with honorable behavior. I'm just going to pause there. Because that's an awful thought. That hurts our feelings. It goes against everything that we've been taught by a world that wants to squeeze us into its mold. That is counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense from an earthly perspective. Jesus expects me to respond to those false accusations with honorable behavior? Are you kidding me? What does it say about Jesus? Look in your Bible. It's just a couple verses down from 1 Peter where we're at. Verse 23, it says, Jesus didn't retaliate when he was insulted. When he suffered, he didn't threaten to get even. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. When falsely accused, Jesus responds with honorable behavior. You know about Job, right? Job. There's a book named after him, book Job, which came first, Job or the book? Job did. His life falls apart. Like in the very first chapter, there's 40 chapters in the book, and his life falls apart in the first chapter. And you know what the Bible says about Job? It says, in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Job responds to the difficult times in his life with honorable behavior. Remember the story of Joseph? Well, that's an awful story. Last 14 chapters of the book of Genesis. I don't know how you parents read these stories to your little kids. It's just crazy. He gets betrayed by his brother and sold into slavery. Joseph does. His brothers, like they just, they just sell him off into slavery. And I don't know if Mickey, Michaela and Mally want to do that with Riley, but yeah, okay, yeah, don't do it. He winds up in Egypt in the house of Potiphar as a slave. And you know how he responds? 
in Potiphar's house as a slave? He chooses excellence. God blesses him. And Potiphar recognizes that Joseph is different from every other slave and puts him in charge of his whole house. Oh, that's a real good story. Let's send the kids to bed right then and there, right? But you know what happens next? If you've heard the story in Sunday school, you know, Potiphar's wife starts looking at this young man and she starts lusting in her heart after him. And he gets, gets accused of attempted rape. How do, you, how do you share that with your kids in a Bible story at night? Winds up in prison, like 17 years old, in prison for 7 to 10 years, depending on how you read the, the numbers in Genesis there. How does he respond in prison? He acts honorably again in prison until he's put in charge of all the other prisoners, Genesis 39, 22. Joseph responds to the difficult times and the false accusations with honorable behavior. Now, here's the part that really stinks. We're not told. We are not told how Potiphar and his wife react when Joseph is set free from prison and put second in command of all of Egypt. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us the end of that part of the story. For all we know, these accusations, this slander, this false allegation follows Joseph for the rest of his life. There's always going to be that group of people who gather around themselves and go, we know the true story about Joseph. And they're lying, but it's a collective lie that they all believe. We aren't told what happens. And we don't know if Job ever really finds out in earth why his life fell apart. All of the heavenly counsel that happens in Job chapter 1, Job is not privy to. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know why his life has fallen apart. And even at the end of the book, when all of his fortunes are restored and he has new kids all over again, his first children are still dead. And we just don't know how the vindication of Job played out in this lifetime. And Jesus, he went to a cross. Like, you got to think about that, right? He's perfect. He's a rabbi that people flock to hear Moms would bring their little kids to sit on his lap. He healed the sick. And he preached the good news to anyone that would listen. And they hated him for it. Do the people who falsely accused Jesus ever recant? We don't know. Does Pilate ever regret watching? Does Pilate ever unwash his hands of Jesus? Walk back that decision? We don't know. Do any of those lying witnesses who came forward ever say, Oh, I lied. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. My bad. I didn't tell the truth there. We don't know. Vindication for the honorable Christian doesn't come in this lifetime. It waits for another time. Look at verse 12. They will believe and give honor to God when he comes to judge the world. Now that's not a very comforting verse, to be honest with you. We don't want that. 
Like at some nebulous point in the future when Jesus returns, we want vindication for ourselves right here and right now, right? We want people to repent in dust and ashes and grovel at our feet for the mean things they've said or the mean things they've done. We want the liars to recant here and now. We want the false accusations to be proven false in front of everybody now, today, not some point in the nebulous future. We don't want people to say nice things at our funeral. We want them to say nice things now. Zhang De Yang was 66 years old when he decided that he was going to hold his own funeral, fake his own death, and hold his own funeral. He arranged it all himself, wondering how many people were going to turn up at his funeral and what they would say. You see, Zhang was a bachelor. He'd never married, and he had no children. And there was another reason for his concern, because in the Chinese culture, the dead are said to have these needs. And it is the responsibility of the living loved ones to go visit the graves of the dead and regularly and to look after the needs of the dearly departed. That's what they believe. And so Zhang faked his own death and planned his own funeral. And I mean, 40 people did turn up at the event. That's more than I'm expecting at my funeral. Zhang was furious because more than 20 people, uh, 20 of his so-called friends and family didn't bother coming. And he's quoted as saying, I can't believe so many of my relatives and friends don't even care about me. Why do the opinions of other people matter so much to us? My brothers and sisters, when you are falsely accused, remember the return of Jesus. He's coming back. And your vindication may not come until Jesus comes. And even then, it is not your vindication. It's his. It's his. It doesn't matter. As long as he gets all the glory, when he returns, it doesn't matter what people say about me. They will give honor to God when he comes to judge the world. He shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun will pierce the night and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Remember the return of Jesus. It matters. It changes everything. So here's what I want to encourage you with. And it may not exactly feel like encouragement today, but it really is. If you are being falsely accused, unjust allegations, cancel culture, knocking at your door, if the difficulties of whatever it is that you are going through right now are throwing you for a loop and have caused you to stop thinking about eternity and just starting to focus on this present darkness, just trying to get through today, and you've lost sight of the big picture, you've lost sight of the beauty of Jesus, just keep following Jesus. Just keep following Jesus. It doesn't matter what those barking accusers will say because one day even the allegations themselves will mean nothing in the light of the glorious face of Jesus. This is my sermon in a sentence for today. Live only for Jesus 
and leave the results to him. You don't have to fake your own funeral to hear what people will say about you. Just live in such a way that no one has to lie at your funeral. In fact, don't even worry about what they might say. Just live for Jesus. Jesus loved all people, but he only ever obeyed his Father. Just live for Jesus. Live only for Jesus and leave the results to him. My dear friends, I urge you, foreigners and exiles, strangers and aliens, abstain from those sinful desires that you have that are waging war against your very souls. Choose instead to live such good lives among your neighbors that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and they will glorify God on the day that he visits us. Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, come. The closing words of our scripture. Live only for Jesus. Do that this week. And just just leave the results up to him. He's got this. He's got this. As Jesus said goodbye to his best friends, they sat together and Jesus began to pray. And as Jesus prayed, his disciples listened. And his disciple John wrote down what Jesus prayed. This is just moments before they leave for the garden. And Jesus doesn't see them again until he dies. And is resurrected. Jesus prays. It's chapter 17 of John. And after he prays to the Father for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for those who will believe. This is verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these disciples only, but also I ask for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one. Just as you, Father, you're in me, and I'm in you that they would also be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, just as we're one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Let's pray together. Father, as we say goodbye to each other this morning and go back out into the world that you've called us into, would our hearts desire align with the desire of Jesus? Would we, we, Lord, live lives that are so, so unified and just so humble, willing to look at one another and extend love and grace? The world is watching and they watch so closely. They're looking for reasons to come after us. They're looking for reasons to hate us. And Lord, the way that we live our lives, it brings you glory. And on the day that you come back, their false accusations, the cruel things they said about us, Lord, they'll fall away. And because the lives that we live for you, they're real and they're authentic and they're genuine. 
Lord Jesus, the world is watching. They're watching me and they're watching my boys. They're watching all of us. Lord, unite us. Unite us, Lord, in love. Unite us in your Holy Spirit. Be in us, Lord Jesus, as you were in the Father and the Father is in you, so that the world may know that the Father sent you to us, that the false accusations may just fall to the wayside. Lord Jesus, make us a city on a hill. Make us a bright lamp on a stand that the world may see and that the world may know. Bless your church, Lord, and dismiss them with your great blessing to go into the world and bless other people. Bring revival in our city, Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. And all the church said? Amen. 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 Amen.